Some of us make our living playing trumpet, while others do more talking than actual playing. No matter our background or ability, we're all fascinated with this piece of plumbing that has earned its place in the pantheon of musical legend, for better or for worse. My name is James Newcomb, and I'm glad you're here. So let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of this replay from the archives of the podcast with Denver Dill, I have a couple of announcements for you. First of all, I have a new Facebook group for people who like the show, who dig what I'm doing with the show and online. It's for people who have tried to quit trumpet and for one reason or another are unable to quit trumpet. And the Facebook group is simply called Can't Quit Trumpet. And if you resonate at all with what I've just said, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. And this Facebook group is for you. Can't Quit Trumpet. To find it, go to trumpetdynamics.com forward slash FB, you know, the standard abbreviation for Facebook, trumpetdynamics.com forward slash FB group. And that's going to redirect to that Facebook group. Get the conversation going. Let's just hang out, talk shop, talk trumpet, life, how the two sometimes intersect. Facebook group, trumpetdynamics.com forward slash FB group. Next announcement is, this is what I do. I am a performer. I am a publisher. And I'm available to speak to your group about entrepreneurship, trumpet, business, if anything that I say resonates with you and you think that I could offer value to your college group, your students, your whatever the case may be, if you have an audience and you are in need of a speaker for any type of event, reach out and let's talk. Let's make it happen. Probably the best way to get a hold of me for something like that is my email, which is james at jamesdnewcomb.com. James at jamesdnewcomb.com. Let me know what event that you have, what your need is re related to having a speaker, and let's talk. I'm just getting started with this, so my rates are reasonable. And so let's get the conversation going. If you need a speaker for any type of event at all, uh, send me a line, james at jamesdnewcomb.com. Now, let's get into today's episode. This is with Denver Dill, who is a great trumpeter with at, at the uh, U.S. Military Academy at West Point. And this is something that was recorded in late 2016, if I recall correctly. So it's just over six years old. But what Denver shares is just as relevant as it was then. He experienced a major trauma to his lips, and he recovered from it, and he documented his recovery from this injury. So let's get to it. This is my conversation with Denver Dill of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. Tell us about first your injury, what brought that about, and then some of the steps to recovery from it. Okay. I was injured in high school. So I had a traditional embouchure in the middle and I had braces put on and then I had them taken off. And when I had them taken off, I heard that you would regress. And I was a voracious practicer because that's that Midwest work ethic, uninformed, but you're just, if I work hard, big gains, that type of mentality. I'm sorry, where are you from again? Ohio. Okay, Ohio. Yep. Sorry. And no, not at all. And so 
I would practice hours and hours until I couldn't play. And then I would practice more. I would practice past that point. And then I would practice till I was bleeding frequently, just thinking it'll build up over time. And one day I was practicing and it was bleeding, which was normal, but the lip had turned black. So I had clearly damaged it. Went and saw my new instructor at the time and it was needing to take some time off. And when I took time off and learned to play again, the embouchure started to slide. You can see me, so even though it's a radio interview, it started to slide to the right. Okay. When I left for my undergraduate at Eastern Kentucky University, it was just slightly off center. When I got to my master's at Juilliard, it was completely in the corner. No, no issues with it other than you just have to figure out how to make it work. And then Dr. to Eastman and then won this job all with that embouchure. And then when I was here, after maybe my second year or third year here, I, I could just, not one event, not one day, but over time, you could just feel it decaying and decaying until I really felt like I couldn't do the job at the level warranted. I could still play. I could play, make noises and cover range and stuff. It was just like a very strident sound. There would be pain occasionally. Just I didn't, the quality level was not what I wanted. And right up until the day of surgery, and then I had surgery and began a long road to recovery, which ultimately led to playing better than I had ever played by a long shot, exponentially better. You're a senior in high school when you had this initial injury. I was probably junior. Junior. Yep. How much time off the horn did you take? One month. Tell me about after that month, what happened after that? Did you try to ease yourself into it? Did someone say, hey, dude, you're just playing too much. You got to take it easy. So I think something that happened was I had just begun taking focused lessons. It indicated to the teacher at the time, a man named Rick Ruth, hey, he actually cares about this. And so we slowed it down and became systematic about an approach to the instrument, not just here's a Clark and Arvin's book, figure it out. But it's let's have an approach. Let's have an understanding. This is how vibrations happen. This is the breath. From that point on, then it became very process oriented and that helped. That was something that was lacking as a kid for me. I didn't have the process, but I had the desire. But when you had that initial injury, was it like, was it just you needed the time off or was the injury that you had when you had your job now, was that more or less a result? How do I say it? Damage that didn't totally heal when you were in high school. Okay. Good question. The, what, a, what we believe happened was in high school, the lip had cuts and then separated like this. Okay. So let's say like this. And my hands are spread just briefly apart. Uh, you know what? I'm going gonna, gonna to put this part right on the website. Okay. And yeah, over time, because I had a pull mechanism as I got to the corner, this would stretch out. So there was a thinning and tearing of the lip. So if this is a normal lip, the muscles not only separated and herniated, they pulled and lengthened. Because I was physically going to make my aperture, my embouchure, and it was all from stretching it out. So instead of, I had the appearance of being very strong as a trumpet player, I actually had nearly no strength because I was using a pole system all through being a professional trumpet player. Why is it that you went to, it sounds like it just gradually progressed to going over to the side of your, mm -hmm. your lips. Why is it that no one at Juilliard and Eastman tried to correct it? Believe me, it was always the topic of discussion. Okay. And across the board, there from Kevin Eisensmith to Vince DiMartino to Phil Smith to Mark Gold to Ray May, you just start naming people. It was, don't touch it. It's working fine. Really? About it. Yeah. Because we're talking, I would say I had an above average agility on the horn. Yeah. And so when you're able to get a negotiate things that are traditionally difficult, why would you want to 
mess with that. And nobody was shy about it. It was always, as soon as I would put the horn up, it looked so radical that it was obviously the discussion, but then it was, well, mess with it. Interesting. uh, I can vividly remember, in particular, Vince telling me, I might have a timeline on it, but do you want to make a change for a might have a timeline, or do you want to just see if it does? And I I felt like it ran its course, and it was a 31-year-old, I was 31 or 32 before it started to, it hit the peak and started to come down. Okay, so let's talk about the surgery. Was it, did you just hit a wall? So you were describing it before, but did you just... All of a sudden, your lips just tore apart, and he said, oh, man, my, my career's over, my life is over. Just tell us about how that came about, where you made that decision to have the surgery and get back to a, more or less a normal embouchure. So it was after a rigorous summer here, lots of playing. You're playing a lot of hot music in the concert setting, movie music, and this is a very loud organization. It's professional brass players playing in such a fashion in a band. That with the daily demands that you have to do, and then a fragile embouchure, it became clear to me I was diminishing in my abilities. What I did was I assumed I was doing something wrong, like any good trumpet player would, so I stopped with hobbies. So I stopped teaching a little bit. I stopped playing golf. I was like, I'm just going to make sure that I'm a proper professional at my job. And when I knew that my my methodology was sound and my practice habits were sound and my work was sound and I was still declining in my capability. I knew it, it must be a physical limitation. And to that end, I eventually went back and had a very private lesson with Ray Mays. And I said, hey, we just listened to this. And he said, you sound and it like, and that was one of those confirmations. Like, yeah. It felt different and I thought I sounded different, but even my colleagues in the band, because it happened gradually, you're not sure if yeah. it's... It's harder to notice change, small change, that's not just all of a sudden if I had a, a car wreck or something like that. And so once he confirmed it, then went to a doctor, a surgeon, mm-hmm. a plastic surgeon, and as soon as he interacted with my lip by feeling it between his fingers, he was positive. And then I had already done some homework and we had found Simon McGrail as a plastic surgeon who at the time was practicing in Canada, who had basically one of the few people who had written about this obicularis oris repair. We sought him out. The, so the surgeon from West Point went with me. They both performed the surgery on me. And the same day, there were two members of the Baltimore Symphony as well. Three people at the same time having the same surgery. Yes. Like we, in the same day. It, yeah. It's not very, medically speaking, it's not the most complicated fix, but it is for us because it's, it's, well, it's, life, it's and, life and death. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay, so tell me the difference between the muscles on the side of the lips, and we might go back onto the video for this, but tell me the difference between the muscles in the side of the lips and the middle of the lips. So what I'm getting at is is that what causes the decline is that there's just not enough muscle mass on the sides? No, no. I believe what caused the decline was the stretching of my muscle to make it happen. So because I was using a tension release system as opposed to a grasping or just a relaxed and I had to do it because I had to make an aperture. So you can't just set this here and have a circle aperture. It doesn't exist. You'd have to have a, when they make them, I just never had one growing up, a not round mouth. You could make something to do that. And it exists. Clark's wasn't, Clark's mouthpiece wasn't round. It was oblong like that. Anyways, and you could shape it to the curve of your teeth, all those things. I didn't do any of that. I just played a one and a quarter and had it on there. And so your obicularis oris is a sphincter type muscle where it can open and close. So it's not that the outside is different. It's just if it's opening and closing proportionately. 
so that you have an aperture. I don't believe that was had any. I don't believe the location of the embouchure had anything to do with it, but more the construct of the embouchure, the fact that I was stretching to make change happen. Okay, so you were. I guess, I guess it sounds to me like the middle of the lips is better suited for trumpet playing. <laughs> is what you're getting at? I don't know. I'm actually not getting at that. I'm getting okay. at you don't want to use your mouthpiece to stretch a muscle. Okay. I believe you can actually play the trumpet on any part of your lips. Okay. Without, and there's a million examples of that, but if, as long as you're doing it in a relaxed fashion, whereas I was in, I was very relaxed, but then using physical force to gotcha. drag a lip across. Okay. So it wasn't the natural airflow. It was very It was strenuous. very, it, it, yes, exactly. It was very methodical and okay. like, it wasn't quite pivot system, but every note had a <laughs> angle yeah. But it was fine. It worked. It worked great. <laughs> For a time, and then it didn't. Exactly. <laughs> okay, tell us about, so now you have the surgery. How long is it before you can play again after that? Play being a relative term, it's a month of zero anything, and then a month of stretching, trying to loosen it up, doing what you just did naturally there where yeah. the chip comes over your teeth. And then the third month was the first attempt at a buzz. And I would say it might have, maybe by the end of the month, I was able to make a buzz. Garbage, horrible, terrible, and pain, Jeez. and it was not pleasant whatsoever. So at this but point, you're, let's go ahead. The job where I would have been medically ridged from the army, because that's my job, is to do that. And if I couldn't physically do it, so I had a very rare job security option that wouldn't be available to a freelance musician or a lot of orchestra musicians. Army is very patient with things like that. It is. And the, when you talk about this as an athletic injury, it makes a lot more sense. The context of a professional athlete, if you pull a hamstring and you take a season off in a professional sport, that's normal. It's almost expected that you yep. would do that because you're pushing your physical capabilities. Yep. You get into music and people don't even want to whisper about it because you're afraid <laughs> you won't get called for a gig. There's a stigma in the arts or in music in particular that doesn't exist in sports. Okay, so how you go to the Hellcats, which is it's basically bugle calls. I think you have one valve on that horn. Uh, how long was it before you could play at the level required of the Hellcats, which is still pretty high? I it, so I couldn't. Okay, I was out doing the job, which is Reveille retreat, march the cadets into their meals, and playing taps. Yeah, I can remember like sweating bullets about playing taps for months and I never folded, but I wasn't, that wasn't, I was not always sure it would be the case. So then to play the things that they play for meals, I wouldn't always survive, I, but there were three at the time playing the meal. So the other two picked up the load. And then the Hellcats also do performances, patriotic showcases. Yeah. And there were plenty of those that I was just hanging on for dear life, not really making it happen. But I had tremendous leaders that are like, Hey, we'll help you. Just let us know. And they saw me through all of that over time and made a better than full recovery. Man. I was just asking, how long did it take before you could like put on the uniform and actually get the horn on your face and do something? I had surgery in July. I officially became a Hellcat in, I was, I don't know how to explain it. I was playing at a sub Hellcat level with the promise of getting back to where we were at. <laughs> <laughs> sub Hellcat level. <laughs> so I was playing, I was not, I would not have won the audition. Gotcha. But they were willing to invest in my recovery. Before you even put the uniform, how long did it take before you could like, okay, I, I can't, I don't sweat this anymore. I got this. How long was it before that? This is where it all gets into psychology. Okay, um, good. I would say that 
sensation was a year and a half after surgery, possibly two. I can't quite remember at this point. In between there, there's very significant, difficult performances of things going incredibly well. But to have, there's a different pressure, I feel. And again, this is where psychology, when I'm playing by my, I don't have the same amount of pressure as I do when I'm playing with colleagues. I don't want to let other people down. I don't have any problem letting myself down. I've got the opposite <laughs> problem with most people. Yeah, that is an opposite problem. <laughs> Love that. Now that you're, okay, what, when did all this happen, by the way? I don't think I even asked that. I can't remember the year. I have it written down. I just, I'm not that type of person. I would guess it was in 2007. Okay, so about 10 years ago. I'm probably getting up on that. Yep. Wow. How, okay, so you said that now your playing is exponentially better than it ever was. Describe that. I play in the middle. Okay. I, so I'm not even touching my scar tissue, which was off to the side because that's where the injury was. Just a more lively, rich tone, and I'm able to sing more through the horn. It's mm. not as, it doesn't sound as harsh. It feels like everything you've heard. You practice, you get the results you need, and, and you feel good about it. So maybe two years ago, I found myself trying to play Beethoven violin sonatas and things like that, like just really pushing the limits of what I could do, where I could play contemporary music to forever. I was trying to play romantic music because there's a, there are certain principles that guide that, that the sound needs to be such, and it's on your face the entire time because it's written for string players and... I wanted to explore that, and it just I'm very fortunate that I play better than I did. And that's, that's all you can hope for. You, you're never going to play better than somebody else. You'll play better than you were yesterday or worse than yesterday. Man, that's a good feeling. It's, I'm sure it was scary, and, but it sounds to me like overall you came out better as a result of it. So you got, what, eight years before you're eligible for retirement? What do you see after uh, your time at West Point? I don't know. want to be a good person and want to yeah. be a good other and so those are the things that motivate me currently are you ever going to be back in the band i mean oh, you're in the band you're in the band now but like back in the concert band oh i play with the concert band all the time okay i didn't understand I, I archie man every week okay i misunderstood you earlier more a what's the bulk of my work so now that i'm senior in in grade you have additional administrative duties. oh okay yeah I've, I've been in the army too so I yeah know, i know that's how that what goes. you said <laughs> okay i was on a different track there. Denver, this is really great. This is, and people are going to love this. And you also have a book. Tell me about the book and we can just put it right on the website. So I called the book Still Playing, I think my journey through armature surgery. And I wrote it not to make a buck. That's why I make it available for free. I wrote it because there was such a stigma and lack of knowledge. I wanted to be able to clarify it. And because I get so many phone calls and emails from people that it started to take an emotional toll on me. Because when you deal with people who are hurt and this is their life and their identity, you're really dealing with the person. You're not just a physical therapist. You're dealing with where are you at mentally? Mm. Are you doing okay? And that's a pretty hard burden to see all year long from a lot of people. So if I could point them to a resource that, that kept me from, there's some dark, confident, phone calls that people are giving you and coming to your house. And I generally dis and discourage people from doing it. It takes, <clears throat> I'm slow to react now because I've taught myself to be, because sometimes it's just a very, it's just too, and you're not <clears throat> a doctor and that you don't know that the problem isn't psychological, that it isn't physical, that it isn't dietary, that it isn't metallurgy. There's just so many things an issue could be and people you don't know what's behind everything and 
I just thought, here's a resource. And this is how I thought of everything when I made a recovery. You can take that and burn it and you can take it and say, I would never do that. Or you can take it and say, hey, this one piece connected with me or the guy seems like a whack job. Is that even his real name? But those are all acceptable because when I wrote it, there wasn't really anything out there. Well, that is a wrap for this episode of Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. Are you a true listener? Visit TrumpetDynamics.com to learn how you can be notified each time a new episode is published. And if you really like what you hear on this podcast, the best way to support me and the show is to subscribe to my daily email newsletter, where I share what I learn and observe in life in an infotaining way. Many folks have told me they enjoy the emails, and I think you will too. Again, the best way to subscribe to the email newsletter is to visit TrumpetDynamics.com. Thank you for listening to this episode, and we'll be in your earballs soon. Ah!